Welcome to episode 3 of the first season of the American Opioid Podcast. If you're new to the podcast, you'll want to start with episodes 1 and 2 first. More information is available at www.americanopioid.org. Marjorie sensed that something was different when she arrived at City Day Nursery to pick up Matt. The receptionist asked her for her name again, then asked her to have a seat before she spoke into an intercom. Usually, Marjorie would just wait by the front desk. After about a minute, Marjorie got up and walked back to the receptionist. What happened? she asked. Did something happen to Matt? Is he all right? Just then, a caregiver entered the lobby, leading Matt by the hand. Marjorie hurried to them and picked up Matt. He smiled at her like always, his cute little baby teeth gleaming pearly white. Hello, said the caregiver. I would like to speak with you, if you have a moment. Sure, Marjorie said. Your son. How old is he now? Two and a half? The caregiver nodded. I see. She paused, then spoke slowly, carefully. I look after many children here. The toddlers who have reached his age are all moving about, chattering. He doesn't do that. But that's fine, because he has a playmate with him the whole time, a girl. What worries me is that I have never once actually heard him speak. There are moments when he seems to say a few things to his playmate, but she's almost always the one doing the talking. Has he ever spoken to you? Marjorie felt her cheeks burn. He's fine, thank you. The pediatrician told me that many children don't talk until they are three. The caregiver frowned as if she doubted the veracity of that information. Okay, she said, but there's something else I must mention. This is the real reason I asked to speak with you today. The caregiver's voice lowered, causing Marjorie to lean in. Earlier today, the fire alarm went off. It's very loud, even for us adults. I instructed all the children who could walk to cover their ears and follow me outside. My colleagues carried the infants out as fast as they could. Virtually all the children were crying, and it was a hot mess. Turned out that a new employee had accidentally put something with tinfoil in the microwave, and there was just a burning smell. No real danger, the caregiver said, as she saw Marjorie's eyes widen. Anyway, she said, I went back inside to check to see if we had missed anybody, and I saw just two kids. Your son and his playmate, Jane. She was tugging on his sleeve, trying to pull him up and away from his crayons and coloring, but he was shaking his head. She was frantic, screaming at him to come, but he shook her off, like he was irritated at being interrupted. 
Finally, just when I was about to reach them, he got up and started following her outside. The moment she saw that he was following her, the girl, Jane, immediately put her hands over her ears to block out the shrieking sound of the alarm. But his arms were at his sides the entire time. As if the alarm didn't bother him. As if he didn't hear it. The caregiver took a deep breath. Miss Kane, is your son... hearing impaired? Marjorie shook her head, mumbled, No, he can hear. He just gets fixated on things, that's all. No need to bring this up with me again. I have to go now. She turned and walked out of the daycare center as fast as she could. At home, Marjorie watched Matt happily lose himself in one of Sybil's books. He had finished the first box of books and was halfway through the second. She noticed that he had developed a habit. After finishing the latest volume, he would go back and reread the books from the beginning, going through them at a slightly faster pace until he reached the one he had just finished. Only then would he move on to the next one. It was as if each additional book contained an insight that caused him to take in the previous books in a new light. Marjorie sometimes felt the urge to pick up the phone and call Sybil, ask her what the books were about. But then she remembered the trust, and the funds available to pay for a deaf school. Deaf school. Sybil had somehow sensed, so early onward, that something was wrong with Matt's hearing. Marjorie had responded by shutting her out, refusing to answer her calls or reply to her letters. But she could not shut out the truth forever. She had to know. Marjorie scheduled an appointment with the pediatrician, who said the same darn thing about Matt's absence of speech not being a big concern. Marjorie shot back. A fire alarm went off at his daycare, and he didn't hear it. How do you explain that? The pediatrician raised an eyebrow. Matt was immediately scheduled for a hearing check. After what seemed like forever, the audiologist took off his headset and looked at Marjorie sadly. The next few moments were a blur. She was told about options and staying optimistic and how it was better that they caught it now rather than later, although catching it sooner than now would have been a bit better. The pediatrician turned to Marjorie. The good thing is that here in Regal, early intervention is available from birth to the end of his third year of age, so you have access to free services for over a year until he turns four. Marjorie was unimpressed. If this had been caught sooner, he would have had those services for a lot longer. The pediatrician went into another long spiel about staying optimistic. A few days later, there was a knock on the door of Marjorie's trailer park home. Two women stood on the porch, one squat and square, the other thin as a reed. The skinny one cleared her throat. Hello. 
I spoke with you over the phone earlier. We work for the county's Department of Health and Human Services. We're here to provide sign language learning services. Marjorie blinked. Okay, great, she said, looking from one to the other. I didn't realize two people would be needed. Oh, the slim woman said, my colleague will be teaching your son. I will be teaching you. Oh, of course, Marjorie thought sheepishly. Not much use teaching Matt if his own mother would be unable to communicate with him. And so it began, the two women coming three times a week. The slim woman, Sadie, patiently explained to Marjorie how sign language differed from spoken English. There's more nuance in the language, based on how you make the movements, Sadie said. Sort of like tone of voice, but it goes beyond emphasis, into shades of meaning. Movement and meaning are deeply intertwined, which makes the communication more intimate in a way. English words don't have the same kind of elasticity. Marjorie nodded without saying anything. Such matters held little interest for her because she was struggling plenty hard just to learn enough to communicate at all. Matt, in the other room, seemed to be doing much better. Periodically, she would hear him let out an ah, a wordless expression of joy. The hefty woman, Tanya, would laugh. Very good, very good, Tanya would coo, signing the equivalent to him. Sadie reassured Marjorie that small children were far better, exponentially better, at picking up a new language. But if Marjorie was persistent, she would be able to communicate with Matt on just about any topic. I've done this with so many families in the county, and I've seen the best results when the parents have full commitment to fluency, Sadie said. Over time, it became easier for Marjorie to expand her vocabulary, and she began to appreciate how the language had a kind of flow to it. But the year was passing by too quickly, and soon the women would no longer be able to teach Marjorie and Matt, at least not for free. Sadie and Tanya sensed this too, because they looked sad. Especially Tanya. One day, when the two women arrived, they asked if they could speak with her before starting the lessons. She nodded. They sat in her living room. Matt wandered in, but Tanya quickly signed something to him, and he bounded off to the bedroom. What did you just say to him? Marjorie asked, curious. That if he waited in the bedroom, I would give him a piece of candy, Tanya said, chuckling. Then her face smoothed out, became serious. Marjorie, there's something about Matt that I think you should be aware of. Marjorie glanced at Sadie, who was expressionless, then back towards Tanya. Okay, she said, her chest and throat tightening. I've been teaching sign language to deaf children for a long time, Tanya said. And I've simply never seen someone like Matt. Ever. You see, we barely had a year, 
and he is completely fluent. There's just not much more I can teach him. He's like a sponge. He picked it all up, and he can sign with a speed and comfort that I have simply never seen with a child his age. But not just that. It's the way he signs. He pauses at just the right moment, and then he accelerates until... I just can't describe it. It's like he has a sense of timing that I can barely understand, let alone explain. He signs with eloquence. Tanya took a deep breath. Marjorie, there is no doubt in my mind that your son is gifted. Marjorie sat there, dumbstruck. The tightness in her body was gone and had been replaced by a warm glow. My son, my child, is gifted. She felt almost giddy, her cheeks reddening. She remembered what Sybil had told her. He has a gift, you know. It was one thing to hear it from a batty old relative. It was quite another to hear it from a professional. Marjorie struggled to contain her excitement. Prudence was the best response. She pursed her lips, attempted to appear skeptical. So you're saying that my son is some kind of... She struggled to remember what the word was. Prodigy, Sadie offered. Yeah, that, Marjorie said quickly. So, if he is one, what does that mean? What should I do? Tanya and Sadie looked at each other. We're not sure what you should do, because we never came across someone like Matt before, Tanya said, turning back to Marjorie. But one recommendation would be to put him in a deaf school rather than a school for the hearing, because he would be better off with kids who are just like him. We know that the only deaf public school in the city is across the turnpike, in High Falls, but you can fill out an application claiming extenuating circumstances. You can attach statements from us with the application. Marjorie nodded politely. Thanks, I appreciate that. Sadie cleared her throat. There is something else. Obviously... I know we're not really supposed to go into this topic, because that's between you and your doctor or audiologist, but I must admit that I was surprised when I first found out that you're not deaf yourself. That's generally true for parents who decline to give their child a cochlear implant. I'm sure you've heard from the audiologist that age is a critical factor for- Yes, I'm aware of all that. Marjorie snapped. The glow on her face had become a glower. She was angry, but not at them. Tanya quickly moved in to dissipate the tension. Anyway, she said, we have high confidence that Matt will excel in a school for the deaf, and we'll do everything we can to help him get into a good one. Marjorie nodded quickly, eager to move on as well. Thank you for your observations. I'll consider it. The lessons continued as usual, 
the boy wonder in the bedroom, Marjorie stumbling over her signing in the living room. When the teachers finally left, Marjorie sat on the couch, deep in thought. She walked over to the dresser, opened a drawer, and rummaged around until her fingers felt the envelope. It had been a long time since she last read the documents inside. Her brow furrowed as she looked over it. Then she grabbed her phone and called the number that had appeared on her display many times over the months. Missed call after missed call. It was time to finally call back. Greetings, my child, the familiar voice said. Marjorie, not in the mood for pleasantries, dived right in. Sybil, I need to understand why you've set up the trust this way. Ah, my dear, I believe he should be educated in the best institution for deaf learning in your area, and that cost should be no object. No, not that part. The other part, Marjorie said. She scanned the bizarre language. Marjorie Kane shall receive a check for one million dollars when Matthew Kane, her son, attains the age of five, but only in the event that he remains legally deaf and has not undergone any medical operation or procedure for the installation of a cochlear implant. If these identical provisions are met by the time he reaches the age of 10, Marjorie Kane shall receive an additional check for $1 million. Marjorie cradled her phone against her ear. Why don't you want him to get a cochlear implant? she asked. Because he is fine the way he is, Sybil answered. The anger was rising again in Marjorie. You're playing with my son's life. The audiologist told me that the brain's development in processing hearing can only fully happen at a very young age. If I wait until he's older, the opportunity is lost. Permanently. Marjorie thought back to the conversation with the audiologist. Of the children who are implanted at age two, almost half develop spoken language equivalent to that of hearing children their age. But among the children implanted at the age of four, that proportion plummets to 16%. Matt was turning four very soon. There was a window of opportunity, and it was closing for him. Sybil sounded unperturbed. My child, she said, that may be true for other children, but it is not true for Matt. Nothing would hold back his development more than a cochlear implant at this age. He can have an implant, my dear, but later, not now. You're not making any sense, Marjorie said. I have heard from a licensed medical professional that he will fall behind if he doesn't get the implant now. The more time that passes, the worse it'll get, 
Do not let yourself be troubled, my child, Sybil said. Your son needs the silence in order for his gift to fully manifest. His deafness will not make him weaker. It will make him stronger. Marjorie was beside herself. You are sick. This is financial blackmail. You're playing with my son's life, and you're taking advantage of my financial situation for your sick games. Go to hell, she said, then hung up. After a few seconds, the phone buzzed. She ignored it. The buzzing stopped, then started again. She put the phone on silent. In the preceding months, Marjorie had thought about getting the implant for Matt, but each time, she remembered what the audiologist said about delayed implantation. And then she remembered that she could have insisted on a hearing test for Matt much sooner, shortly after seeing the document for Sybil's trust, when Matt was still just a little over a year old. And she simply did not want to think about that, about what she should have done. She had been trapped in a sort of limbo. Doing something would have been the painful acknowledgement that she should have done something before, but failed. And that was intolerable to contemplate. So she pushed it all away, even as she knew that she could not keep it at bay forever. She had to be a good mother now. She had screwed up before, but there was still time to make things right. She picked up her phone and called the audiologist. There were several rings, then a robotic voice. You have reached the voicemail of Dr. After the beep, she spoke quickly, as if she were afraid that she might change her mind any second. Hi, she said. This is Marjorie Kane. I would like to schedule an appointment to find out the process of getting a cochlear implant for my son, Matt. Thank you. After hanging up, she breathed deeply. There. It was done. Her son's well-being was more important than anything else. Sybil and her millions be darned. Marjorie's body felt stiff. She had been hunched over for a while. She got up from the couch, paced around a little bit in the cramped space. The day had left her feeling high-strung. She needed something to help her unwind. She walked over to the bedroom, scooped up Matt, left the trailer, and rang the doorbell of the trailer next door. A woman with curly auburn hair and an oven mitt on her right hand opened the door. Hi, Marge, she said. What's up? Hi, Amelia, Marjorie said. Something's come up. Something urgent. Would you mind watching Matt? Sure, Amelia said. I'm cooking, but I can sit him down at the kitchen table. Do you have one of those books he really likes? He's always super quiet and settled when he has that. Absolutely, Marjorie said. I'll bring a book over right now. Thanks. Fifteen minutes later, and five miles elsewhere, Marjorie walked into Level Up, the closest pub.
it had not changed. Neon lights outside the window, the acrid smell of cigarette smoke, a few pool tables lined up across from a long row of bar stools on the other side, about a third of them occupied. The bartender, a big burly man chomping a fat cigar, squinted at her. You look familiar, the bartender said. Didn't you used to come here regularly with a bloke years ago? Yes, she said. She felt slightly flattered that he remembered her after all this time. That bloke was my husband, now ex-husband. Ah, I see. Sorry to hear that, he said, with the resigned tone of someone who has heard every sad tale known to man. What'll I get you? Wait, I know. Bloody Mary, right? She nodded, even more impressed. The last time she was here, Matt had not even been conceived. As she gulped the drink, she felt proud of herself. So many things had gone sideways in her life, but now she was finally exerting control, going her own way, not dependent on anyone, including Sybil. During the weekend in Sybil's mansion, Marjorie had seen her parents only once, during the funeral services for Sybil's deceased brother. Her parents ignored her, and she ignored them. When she walked out afterwards, she felt relieved. Any interaction would have created more problems than it solved. She had given up everything for the man who disappeared on her. Although the man was long gone, the damage he left behind would long remain irreversible. Marjorie glanced around, noticed that she was being eyed by almost everyone in the bar. Interesting. Before, she had always come here with Matt's father. Men would notice her, then see that she was coupled, and then proceed to ignore her. Not anymore, now that she was alone. Hi there. Waiting for someone? She turned and saw the chiseled features, strong jawline, musculature that subtly rippled underneath a pressed collared shirt. Um, no, she said. Just having a little time to myself. The man smiled. Buy you a drink? She sipped the new drink, courtesy of Mr. Jawline, and they talked. How long had it been since she dated someone? Too long. She was still young. The fat that she had accumulated during pregnancy was in its last throes. She could be hot again. Do you come here often? the man asked, after buying her a second drink. It's been a long time, she said. I actually came here to celebrate a little bit. Wait. That was not her second drink. She'd had one before he approached her. This was her third drink. The man smiled. What's the special occasion? I'm going to get my son a cochlear implant so he can hear. The man's face froze in mid-smile. He stared blankly at her. Um... He squinted hard, as if racking his brain to find the right words to say. You, um... Have a kid? Yep, she replied jovially. And... He's currently deaf? Yeah, she said, this time more hesitantly. 
but not for long. I'm getting him a cochlear implant. Oh, God. She was just now realizing how unromantic she was sounding. Ah, I see. That's good, the man said. Happy to hear that. He noted absentmindedly, glanced furtively at her drink. He was no longer making eye contact with her. Very happy to hear that, he said again. He took a deep breath, then got up. I'm going to the bathroom, he announced, then walked away. An older man, who had been a couple of stools down, got up and sauntered over. How are you doing, Marjorie? She frowned. How do you know my name? He smirked. I heard you say it to that young man who just left, and who's not coming back. It seems to me that you haven't been in the dating game for a while. He gave off the scent of cheap aftershave, and his suit jacket was too big for him. He extended his hand. I'm Leroy. Marjorie's hand stayed wrapped around her drink. What can I do for you? Just wanted to tell you that I can take you out, show you a good time. He smiled, revealing crooked teeth, most of which were stained, and one of which had a visible crack. Marjorie raised her eyebrows. She had gone from Mr. Handsome to Mr. Hideous in just a few short moments. Was this the inevitable fate of a single mother in the dating scene? Oh, I know I don't have much going for me in the looks department, Leroy said, as if he could read her mind. He lowered his voice. But there's something else I can offer. He reached into his pocket, pulled out a shiny silver business card holder. He cracked it open narrowly, inches from her face, so that only she could see what was inside. White pills. Pills? Are those drugs or something? Marjorie asked. Shh, Leroy cautioned. He snapped the holder shut. This is just a sample, for display purposes. I have many quality products to offer, but they're elsewhere, not here. Everything I have is 100% authentic, exactly what I say it is. No surprises like you'll get with other vendors. Marjorie got up. She was done. Look, Leroy said, I'm just saying that I can make you have a good time. Guaranteed. Goodbye, Marjorie said, as she walked out the door of Level Up. Behind her, she heard Leroy exclaim, Are you sure you can drive? You're slurring your speech. You've had three drinks, all of them with hard liquor. So he had been watching her the whole time. The creep. She walked faster to her car. It took her a few tries to slide her key into the lock. She settled into the driver's seat, started the engine, glanced over at the clock displayed on the dashboard. Holy cow! Two hours had passed? She needed to get home. Get Matt. As she backed the car out of the parking spot, she thought back to the idiot she had wasted her time on, the one who was interested until she mentioned her son. Screw him. Anger coursed through her, and she slammed on the accelerator with her foot. There was a screeching sound as she veered off, the tires 
leaving skid marks in the pavement in the parking lot. Little did she know that her destination would not be her trailer park home. Rather, it would be in another zone altogether. Ground zero of the opioid crisis. In the next episode, Marjorie takes opioids for the first time. It won't be the last time. Join us next time on the American Opioid Podcast.